0: And we say that every good gift is from God. We recognize that. Um, We try to recognize that, right? We have songs that we even sing that say the breath that we breathe is His gift. And so sometimes it's a mindset. Sometimes we feel it. Sometimes it's just facts we know. But we want to acknowledge and we want to give thanks to God for what He's given us. Um, At this time, we pass that, so if you've got a gift that you um, to give or a tithe, if you practice within that, uh, or even your green card to put it down there, a prayer request, a praise, a way to get connected, we say we lay those all before God, our needs and our praises before Him. Also, we're inviting our church over this summer um, as attendants, kind of like, you know, you make it once, twice a month. We encourage you, if you can, to help us continue to maintain a present budget. If there's a possibility to go online and to be able to set up consistent giving. So if you have the opportunity to do that, if you're Genesis family, you're committed to uh, this church um, as being a part of what we're doing, we invite you to go online and sign up for that. But we give thanks to so many pause and give God praise. So God, thank you for your ever-present gifts. God, your good love towards us. And God, we pray that we would be able to use what you have given us that it would overflow from us, God, in gratitude for your good in the world. We pray that our neighborhoods would flourish. We pray that our neighbors, that their families, that, that our cities would flourish, God. That they would do well. And we pray for the city and our state. We pray for our country, God, that it would, it would flourish. That we would please you, God. And we pray for the world and the nations. Got them flourish, God. By your love, by your power, God. And let us participate in your good work. As we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so as we're passing this too, we sing as our practice to continue to remind us. Because uh, we have to continue to remind reminded of how good God is. And when we open our hands, it's out of just praise to him. It's out of gratitude for him as we give. And so we're going to sing, this is an old song, it's actually called the doxology, we sing it, we sing it every week, we sing it cappella with no music, and we, we don't do that because we have good voices, um, we, we do that because um, it is a simple song, but also we want to praise God in it. So uh, if you know it, feel free to sing along, if you don't, feel free to sing along, but here, let's uh, continue to praise God in this doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning we're, we're starting a new series called Fresh Bread, and it's it's this this reality of God kind of speaking into the all, all of our everyday lives with fresh words from Him or fresh experiences. Sometimes that freshness is good, other times it's painful. But this morning, Ben Riegel, one of our elders here at Genesis, is going to be sharing. Um, his fresh bread, as it is, but sharing. He's been talking with me for a while about what God's been laying on his heart and wanting a chance to talk with us as a church to share his experience, but also to share what he's been learning from God in that. So with that, I know that he is, um, I don't know nervous is the word, but he, I think he knows that what he's talking about is heavy um, or it's tender. It, it's real. He's talking about grief and as you'll hear his story, um, it's not one. Uh, he's not talking about it as one who's just like, oh, here's this idea, but as one who's had to step into it from different experiences. And so with that, we're, we're honored to uh, get to talk about real things and to get to talk about a God who's really with us um, and to get to do that in community where there's a whole mix of experiences. So with this in mind, I think his his heart was kind of tender and open to this kind of, you know, wanting it to be a gift for us, but but knowing that this is a difficult subject, right? And so with that in mind, um, let's pray, right? Inviting the Spirit of God to to, do what only God can do that can bring life in all situations. So God, we thank you for your servant, Ben, who was willing to listen to you, and to speak as you direct him to share the vulnerable parts of his life um, as an idea of showing in his weakness your strength and your love and so god i pray that he would be willing to submit to your goodness and that you would comfort him and give him strength to proclaim boldly and clearly as you have done may you god just also pour your pleasure upon him as he continues to say yes to what you're inviting him to do as he listens and obeys you and God, for us, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to be able to hear from you. As our emotions might be stung this morning or as uh, our imaginations are grabbed or we're reminded of also of people we have loved and who are not with us and we ache over that, would you come and whisper to us, would you allow us to ask deep and hard questions, but we pray God that you would speak into those questions with your nearness, your presence, and your love. Come, Holy Spirit. Shape us. Transform us. And in doing, God, transform the world. Amen.
1: All right. Thanks, Bo, for that. Um, So, obedience was one of the things out of our elder retreat yesterday uh, that we had. And... uh, I felt like God was telling me to share this story, my story, and uh, it's, it's actually turning out to be much harder than I would have thought to be. Um, and I also am feeling the weight of the fact that my story might really impact you and your own stories today. Um, and I wanna preface my talk with the fact that I don't know your story and I can't understand it. And no one else can, really. And I don't want to have, this is nothing about what I'm gonna talk about today is prescriptive in nature, Isn't like I have some like, hey, just follow these steps and everything's gonna be fine. Uh, I don't have that, and I would say I don't have it all figured out. Putting this message together, and even last night as I was reviewing it, um, I was really overcome by emotion again and I would say that that was surprising for me, um, if you know me. Um, so with that, I will start. Uh, my mom died on Labor Day weekend this last year. Uh, there's a picture of her, I think. We'll get a picture of her right there. That's, that's with Clara, many years ago, if you've seen my youngest daughter. And she was 67, and I was with my wife's family in beautiful South Haven on the beach. because we go there every weekend on Labor Day weekend, and so I was on a vacation and got a call on Sunday morning, actually, right about this exact time, and it was my brother-in-law saying that my mom was taking a bath before church, which she always did, and she had passed away suddenly, very suddenly, in fact, and I really didn't know what to do with that should we go back to the beach (laughs) should we like like what's happening like i don't know even what to do my in-laws didn't know what to do right my children didn't really know what to do Uh, and so i was in this point of just being in a place i had no idea how to handle it i actually had to call my brother because my brother-in-law couldn't get a hold of my brother and so i had to tell my brother and my sister-in-law and and then my family, I had to call my family. I'm the one who talks to everybody, so I, uh, I had to call all my family. And um, I was faced with something that I'd, you know, really never been faced with. I also had this understanding of what death and grief was like based on a bunch of Western culture. <laughs> and I think in Western culture, what we do is we try to separate ourselves as much as possible. We actually have a whole profession That we've created to separate ourselves from the death. And it's very interesting because most cultures don't do it that way. Um, And I've been reading this, so after my mom died, I started reading this book. I heard this interview with a person called Caleb Wilde, who wrote a book called Confessions of a um, Funeral Director. And he's a seventh generation funeral director, married a, his wife is a sixth generation funeral director, right? They married like into this Culture that probably most of you and I could not understand, uh, but he wrote this book. It's just incredible kind of story and um, understanding of what uh, death looks like on a regular basis when you're in it and living in it in a profession. And I, and I thought it was just fascinating. But one of the things is, is was happening to me is that I wasn't experiencing grief like I thought I was supposed to. <laughs> Right? I, my mom lives in Houston, to give you a little background. Uh, we were close, but I would say we weren't like, we didn't talk every day. My sister lived 10 minutes from my mom. She's very close with my mother. It was her best friend, right? Like, but for me, it was like I called my mom every couple weeks, right? Probably many of you have a similar uh, situation. And so I almost felt like it just, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't crying, I didn't cry once until this point, um, I, you know, I just didn't have that emotion and I actually felt like something is wrong with me. (laughs) Um, And then I heard, uh, I heard, I was reading that book by Caleb Weil and he said something very interesting, he said, people that have experienced trauma and if they recover quickly, we would call them like heroes, like look how quickly they recovered. People that have experienced death, and they recover quickly or don't experience the same level of grief immediately, we would call them cold. And, and, I, and I was like, oh man, that's so true, isn't it? But what I found was starting to happen was that I had this idea of what grief was like, and it was built on this model that came up in the 1960s. Uh, if you could put it up on the screen, you that'd be great. And the model looks like this. You've probably seen this, or you've heard of it, right? There's like these stages of grief. Shock and anger and bargaining, depression, acceptance, except this actually isn't true. And they've done a bunch of studies and research as I've figured it out, that they actually prove that it's not true. (laughs) That this isn't, this is how maybe some people might go through it, but some people might go through all kinds of different stages at different times. And the reality of what was happening is I think what we've done is we've created this and we've taken this because we wanna control the grief. I absolutely wanted to control the grief. And so I was sitting here in this very church in that back part and I'm a left-sider so there's a lot of right sides I see. I don't know what's happening right now. The left side needs to get better. I'm just gonna say that right now. <laughs> and Jim was, was, was on the right side today, which is not, yeah, it's not typical. We, we happened to be sitting together in the back and Kate, one of my good friends, was up here talking. And actually, Kate, I'm sorry, but I don't even remember what it was about. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. Uh, she had used the story in Mark two that was about the person on the mat, And uh, we could probably read that. If, so a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them since they could not get to him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sons are forgiven. And immediately I was struck, I don't wanna be the guy on the mat. And so I leaned over to Jim and I actually said this, I was like, I don't wanna be that guy. This is about a month after my mom had passed. And I think we kind of were trading text messages like during service, so I'm sorry, Kate, we didn't listen to the rest of it, but I, I felt like there was, there was, that was clearly God telling me, like, this is what's going on. You're trying to control it. So I was aware this was actually happening, right? I was aware this was happening. And I really, there really wasn't much I could do with it. I was just, knew that i didn't want to be the guy um, for whatever reason i wanted we always want to be the guy like carrying the guy down to the mat right like that 's the one guy that 's what i'm like because that's what I am for so many people um, what I do for a living is very similar to that i I help people consult with people and i 'm always the person helping them you know figure and so this was like i don't want to be that guy i don't want to be the guy that is in pain or anguish or sorrow i don't want to be the guy who's uh, frankly crying in front of others. like That was even just like that simple act of like um, vulnerability. And then uh, for the last six or seven years, I've uh, helped lead the men's retreat with a few other people. And uh, we had built the men's retreat. It was in October and we're doing it. And um, like the, on a Saturday we go through the day and uh, we we did this thing where it was like I don't remember the the what everything was associated with it, but we were people would come up and they would say like Hey, this is what I'm leaving, or this is what I'm hearing God saying, and and I actually for some reason there was like a lull, and I figured like Well, we can't just stop here, you know, so like I went up and I was like You know what? I still am holding on to the fact that I'm I'm the gu- I don't want to be the guy in the mat, and I just left it like I didn't really know what else to do with it, so I walked back down, whatever. And then later, we're praying, and it's actually similar to this. It's like a little stage at Camp Leal. If you've ever been at Camp Leal, a little stage like this. And we end up praying for someone. The whole group, there's like 35 of us. And I'm standing up on the stage for some reason because there wasn't room. And Bo's like right here. I'm going to describe this in detail because I think it's really important. Bo's right here, and he turns to me. And he looks me in the eye, and you can see when Bo's serious about something, it's like he gives you, you know, it's like a stare down. And I'm like, (laughs) and he just says, I think we should pray for Ben. And he says the words, I want you to lie down on the floor. And I had a physical reaction of, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I mean, I can, I can feel it. Actually, right now, I was like, I am not doing that. <laughs> and he kept going, like, "Bo, he didn't stop talking, you know, so he was like, well, we're going to, how about we, you know, like, we're going to pick him up. <laughs> we're all going to pick him up, and we're going to pray for him because he's going to be the guy on the mat. And uh, I, I still was, I just was like, I don't think I can, I, I, I was, and in my mind, it was the struggle of, like, I'm not doing that. It wasn't that the floor was dirty, and you know, like it wasn't. It just was like I can't physically bring myself to go on the floor. Uh, But I, but I did it (laughs) begrudgingly, and I got down on the floor, and. I they picked me up, and luckily, like, Matt Reynolds was there. Matt was like, I was like, at least Matt's here, because then he can make sure that I'm not going to get dropped. You know, he's a big guy. So they pick me up, and it's super awkward, right? Like, at least for me it was. I don't know about everybody else, but it was for me. And they pick me up, and I, and they start, you know, they start praying for me. At this point, you would expect that I would feel I would feel something, but I was still holding on to it, right? I just, for whatever reason, I was holding on to it. And they held me for a long time, and people's arms were getting tired, and they finally were like, we're going to set you down. So I set me down, and it was one of those things where it's like, there's all these people, like, right next to you, looking at you, like, well? And I'm like, eh? You know, like, I didn't really... So out of nowhere, and I still don't know where he even came from, but he came out of nowhere. I don't know if you know Mark Nielsen. Is there any... Is Mark here today? Is Mark's Mark's not here? Oh, bummer. So Mark's not here. But his his dad comes every year to the men's retreat. And so I know Mark's dad through that, right? And he's, you know, he's got the gray beard. He's like the father figure in our group, right? Like, and he he comes on a beeline to me. I don't even see him. I don't, I don't, I don't know why, but I don't see him. He just grabs me and just bear hugs me, right? And he just says the simple words, just let it go. And I lost it. I lost it. And it was the first time that I think that I was actually honest with myself that I was super angry with God that it happened. I was super angry. And it was hard to like even say those words. But I needed to, I needed to just let it go. And I needed to say those words. And I needed to have those moments that it was okay to cry. And I'm sorry I'm doing it right now. Um, this is hard for me. But it was just one of those things where I had to be the guy in the mat. And I would say for all of you, not all of you have probably experienced the loss of someone close to you yet, but I guarantee that it will happen. It's a guarantee. And uh, I don't think that there's any preparation for it other than that kind of effect, you could, it just happens. Um, but I had this, so I had this moment of experiencing anger and honesty with God for the first time, and it was, for me, a an uh, essential part of going through the process. And um, it's very interesting, because death is one of those things that asks us to pause. It really strips away everything else and gets to the core of you and what matters. Caleb Wild tells a story of kind of, uh, of a funeral. That he's at, he's, you know, obviously he's at a lot of funerals, And he tells this funeral of a of a young seventeen year old that overdoses, and it's like you know, there's a lot a lot of emotion. And he said he said, you know what's what's fascinating is I was with them. Everyone is there in the moment. And he's like, what you'll find is, like, no one is checking their phone or looking for something else or remembering the time when so-and-so got angry with so-and-so. It all was gone because none of it mattered. Like, death is the ultimate silencer of those. And I thought it was just fascinating, kind of like, that he said right there, he's like, that was worship. God was in the midst of that, even in the anguish. I read a story in John uh, 11 that I thought was like one of the times where this was very obvious. And he says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. He wept. He had anguish. He was, some some translations even say that he was angry. He was angry, he had lost his friend. There's this Jewish tradition called Tekken Alam. And I thought it was really poignant for this. And it really means healing of the world through presence in the midst of pain. That God is in the midst even when you don't see him. And it's almost like God is saying, I'm here with you and I love you. So I got to have an interesting uh, so two weeks after my mom died, my sister's in Houston, my mom had been in Houston for a couple years to be closer to my sister, and she, so my sister said, I'm going to have a funeral in Houston uh, two weeks after my mom died, so I said, well, I uh, I guess I better go. Uh, so I went, and it was just my sister and I as family, and my sister, my brother-in-law's family from Texas, and And it was very awkward. And it was, I don't know, very strange. There was probably like 60 people there, but I'd say I knew 55 of them. There was 55 people that knew my mom and my stepdad in some way. And so I had this experience of having a funeral, but it was very strange and there wasn't family there. Uh, It was just me, my my wife and kids didn't come. It was, so it was just like this. So I had this experience of a funeral, right? And then we had a funeral here uh, two days before Christmas, actually, on a Saturday, in this exact place. And we had all my family from both sides, my dad's side and my mom's side, in town. From all over the country, all over the world, actually. So we had all these people in town. And my mom has seven uh, siblings. So, you know, imagine, we have a lot of aunts and uncles and family, right? And uh, one of my aunts, uh, who I'm very close with, was like, we want to have, like, a get-together. <laughs> I'm like, sure, let's do a get-together. Where do we want to have it? And they're like, we don't know. And I'm like, well, I guess we can have it at our house. So it turns out, the next thing I know, we're having a party at my house for, like, 40 people, right? And then we're like, well, why don't we just invite the other side of the family, uh, because they're going to be coming into town anyways, and so let's have this. So we have this party at our house, which ends up being, like, 40 45 people. And... Um, I don't know how to explain it other than the fact that it was one of the most amazing times where it felt palpable that God was there. I can't explain it other than the fact that there was so much love in the room of our house in this little place with all these people. And it wasn't like we were lamenting about my mom, or we were telling some stories, but my mom was somewhat of an introvert, and so I think my mom, had she been at the party, I kept thinking, she probably wouldn't talk much, but she would've loved this, right? She would've loved it. And I felt like this overwhelming sense, God was there with all of us, and the love in the room, and with me, and with our family, and with everyone, I think was just, it was absolutely overwhelming. And we came and had, the next day had a funeral here for my mom. And I remember sitting right in this first spot with my brother and my sister. And Igor played this organ uh, and piano, which my mom would have loved, absolutely would have loved. And I thought to myself, man, she, she would have, this, this, this is perfect. But you know what it was? It wasn't finality to it. I think what we think is like we'll do these things and everyone likes to use the word closure as if that is the end and we won't remember them or that we won't feel sorrow for them or that it just goes away. There's this saying that comes up a lot, is like time heals all wounds. And I would say that's not necessarily true, (laughs) right? It does, and it, maybe it shouldn't, that maybe it shouldn't, And we don't wanna, I don't wanna forget, and it's okay that I feel anguish and pain and it still shows up, because controlling it isn't the answer. It isn't the answer. And I think what is interesting is when it happens to friends of ours and we don't know what to do, So if I could give you some practical advice, one of the phrases that I started to absolutely hate was, how are you doing? (laughs) I don't like that phrase most times anyways, and you really don't like it when it's directed towards you in a way of like, well, how is your emotional state right now? That's basically what they're asking. So don't ask that if I could give you some advice? (laughs) Because there's no real good answer. If I told you that I'm feeling fine, you'd be like, what's wrong with him? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Or he's lying. (laughs) If I told you I'm really sad and I want to cry right now, you're like, maybe I don't, you know, like, you just, you don't need, it doesn't matter. And one of the things that uh, Caleb Wilde said in his book was interesting is that when we're with friends and family we can be instruments of peace and demonstrate what God is like and he says this simple thing, simple acts of presence and proximity before performance you don't have to say anything we just have to be there People would often say, even what can I do? I, I don't know. I didn't know. I couldn't even tell you what to do. But I did know, <laughs> but, but I guess, my guess is if you went out and got food and brought it back, I wouldn't say no, right? Like, or I wouldn't, but I wouldn't, and I wouldn't even be thinking about it. Sometimes all we can do is be with people in presence and proximity. And I think that that's something that just, just, if you could hold on to, the other thing that's very interesting is that they've done a bunch of research around how do people heal through pain and anguish and some devastating event. And you know what the number one factor is? What's the number, what do you think the number one factor is for people that can get through it over time? Support. Community, that was the only factor. You take in everything else and none of it matters. None of it could get you there. Community was the only thing that people... Uh, Carmel and I were talking about this and her sister-in-law, I think I could share this, right? Her sister-in-law is a trauma counselor. Your sister, my bad. <laughs> sister is a trauma counselor. And she says she can tell right away if someone's going to be able to recover in some way if they have at least five people in their life. Five Hopefully, you have five people in your life. But hopefully, the person, the person that is with you're with may not. So you, it's our job, if anything, to come around those. But community is. So pulling away is not the answer, is what I would say. And it's exactly what I was trying to do. If I was honest with myself, I was pulling away because I don't want to be the guy on the mat, and I didn't want to deal with it. And it was easier for me because my mom was in Houston, and she was away. I wasn't my and I, and, I, and I didn't and it wasn't my sister who was with her all the time, right? It was just easier, and it and it shouldn't it didn't have to be easier. I didn't I didn't I could have just been with it. So I think I'll leave you with that. Of, I hope that I can am just sharing what I went through. I wanted. I, I didn't really want to talk about it, but my, I felt like God was telling me that we don't talk about it enough, that it seems to be this, this taboo subject of that's death, and when it comes to the funeral, let's have the conversation. But if it's not that, forget about it. Don't bring it up. But yet, it happens every second of every day. Someone's born, someone dies every second of every day. So it's with us, whether we like it or not. And I, I felt like it, uh, God was telling me that just to be an encouragement to those, that if you're still, I was talking to my friend Jason, and he never shares his emotions, right? And we're, in, we're somewhere, we went on a trip together, and he's say, he said, you know, my dad died eight years ago, and I still, every once in a while, something will come up and I'll just cry. And I, I mean, and this is not a person who would say. And I just thought to myself, yeah. Because he was like, what's wrong with me? And I was like, nothing. That's just, that's okay. So I guess if nothing give you the freedom, it's okay. It's okay. So, Carmel, I, that's all I've got. I don't know if I should take questions, but... <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um so I'm serving as your host today, and in that role, I want to um, give us a response to what we just heard. That was powerful. Uh, the room got so still um, when we talked when when Ben mentioned being on the mat i don't want to lose that moment. If you are experiencing this is the presence. This is the presence and proximity that we're going to do before performance. I think it's important to remember that in that, that Mark 11 passage where Jesus comes, and it's the famous shortest verse in the world that you can say you know, Jesus wept. Jesus comes to find out that his very dear friend Lazarus dies, and he comes to see Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. He visits with them. He comes to them. They say, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And he sees them weep. He sees the other mourners weeping with them them over Lazarus. And he stops and he cries. We know that in like two seconds, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he stops and he cries first. Do you need to stop and cry? Do you need to lay down on the mat and say, I have to let this go. You have to come around me. Lord, you have to enter into my weeping. Show me how you cried, Lord. If that's you, if you have experienced death, death of a father, a mother, grandmother, grandfather, God forbid it, child. We want to practice presence and proximity before any kind of performance. Let us carry your mat.